Hi everybody, it's Anne McElhenney. And Philip McAleer. And this is the Anne Film Scoop. And this is on a very special occasion. We are joined by Alan and Lisa Robertson, our extremely dear and gorgeous friends that we met on a cruise, I think we think like, what, a couple of years ago, on the Media Re Research Centre's cruise. Where were we? Oh, in the Caribbean. Caribbean. Yep. Somebody has to do this, by the way. It's a dirty job, but we're willing to go to the Caribbean <laughs> with the Media Research Centre. <laughs> You know, because we we're just those kind yeah, of people. To, 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 it's purely educational. We got no enjoyment out of no, it. No, no, we did not enjoy it at all. But can I just say, and I really do want, I really do mean this. Meeting you guys was like a like a honestly was like a miracle. We were like we were like this. We had this like instant. You know, and it's really weird. Like you're from Louisiana with the law with the accents and everything, and we're from Ireland with our accents. Yeah. Sure, that might have been the bonding in self. Yeah. But we definitely, um, it was like the big takeout for yeah. us. From I was that, say, from we that did cruise. it. We did enjoy it. I mean, I mean, it was it's hard work these cruises actually because right. you you're speaking, you're doing dinners with, with with people from the media research center, and but I think everyone. It was a it was a wonderful yeah. Uh, well, from from my perspective, we were it, Lisa wasn't on the panel, so it was me and, and you two guys, and I didn't know who you were, but I had heard of Frack Nation before. All right. And so so I'm trying. To, you were on a cruise ship. You can't Google. You know, there's no phone. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't find out who you were. So so I meet you guys, and we sit around the table just like this. Then Philem opens up with a question, and then Anne is asked a question, and she just goes on a. I'm gonna say about a five minute <laughs> No, I, I don't think I would be like that. Uh, I mean, and look, and I'm, I'm listening, I was thinking, I wanna be this woman. Oh, <laughs> but, so you know, and you were so awesome. So, in fact, the first thing I said when they asked me a question, because we were doing media. Yes. Remember, because you guys were doing media and I was on, yeah. on Duck Dynasty. So, I was like, I wanna be her. You know, <laughs> so everybody laughed. And, but I think that was the initial bond, was just your passion. You know, for your projects and what you were doing, you. and conservatism, yeah. which was huge. And then we got together and had a drink. And then I think we realized that you guys work together mm -hmm. in yes. everything you do. Yeah. Well, that's what Lisa and I do. Yeah. And yes. I, I think that was the bond. It was yeah. like couples that are trying to make a difference. Yeah, you know, which yeah. Is fascinating. And that was great. And then we, you know, we really did become friends. And then you very graciously, the family invited us down when we, we first of all had a first cut of Gosnell. And, and your family got to see it, and were like really helpful to yeah. us actually um, in every kind of possible way. So we we and we got to go down and, and, and meet everyone, which was fabulous. Um, and then you guys came, and we had some days together last year, and now you're having it. So this is going to be the annual Robertson's visit yes, to right. Los Angeles yeah. and to the Venice area. Well, so I think we should explain for anyone who doesn't know who Alan and Lisa are. Uh, Alan. That is not possible. But you, you know, there might be somebody this, in, in Timbuktu somewhere, because this is an international podcast. Correct. So Alan is a Duck Dynasty brother, or as you, you, the beardless you, one. As you people say, Duck Dynasty. Right. Yes. Uh, but he's, he's uh, the, the beardless one. And uh, you didn't make an appearance on the show until relatively late in the series. Is that right? Season uh, four. Probably. Season four. But what an appearance it was. Well, we've hauled a lot of fish up this bank. We played baseball under these trees. Sai shot a few squirrels out of them as well. We all got baptized in the creek back here behind me. And now here we are, almost 50 years after you two guys got together, uh, having the wedding that you never had, with four generations of Robertsons looking on. I'd say this is the perfect spot. I think your first appearance was a record, uh, record ratings uh, for the show. Was that a coincidence? And, and, and also, not just for the show, but it is still the highest rated reality TV show ever in the history of cable television. Wow. So uh, around 12 million. And so my thing was, if they had gotten me on that show 
from season one. You know, <laughs> it could have been a. Oh, it could, I mean, forget yeah. it that it was a juggernaut. That's it could right. have been a juggernaut. So well, all they really needed was somebody that looked good. I mean, you're looking at all those beards. All they really needed was a good. Yeah, look. Yeah, good well, Lisa, Lisa says. Lisa says that I'm the best looking Robert. Which <laughs> you, you know, yes. when so your wife fun. says that, I appreciate. It. But you the bar, your wife the bar is so low, Ed. Oh. So I just want to put that in perspective. Twelve million people watched that show. I mean, uh, as you say in your book, which we'll talk about earlier, uh, that's later. Later, yes. We talk about later. Talk about later. (laughs) I'm sort of editing as we go on. This is our first time having guests. And we're super excited and clearly, yeah. you know, you just have to forgive us a little bit for all of for the... For the jumps in the space-time <laughs> continuum. So it, that's 8 million more viewers than the season premiere of Mad Men, which is supposed to be a hugely popular show. It's 3 million more than the season finale of The Good Wife. And, and The wow. Good Wife was a great series. Yeah, yeah. It was, well, and, it was on, and it was on CBS, it was on not on a cable show. So 12 million is an enormous nowadays. Yeah. Nobody watches, 12 million people watch nothing. Maybe the Super Bowl, you know, or something like that. Well, it's interesting, Phil, because the, when the numbers were there, um, you know, the entertainment, entertainment media tried to ignore us as much as they could. Yeah. Because, you know, let's face it, they didn't like us, they didn't like what we were doing. But they couldn't. I mean, the numbers kept surging and they yeah. couldn't ignore it. And it, But if it wouldn't have been for that, they would have. But, yeah. you know, that's just kind of what we have to deal with. You guys yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah, we totally yeah. get it. So, but, I, I, but I also think it's worth mentioning what happened on that on that episode because I think it was a very special, a very special moment. And I was just reading, and it's funny, just in general reading. And we're going to talk a lot about the book Desperate Forgiveness that Alan and Lisa have written. This is like this. This is the second book of yours that I've read. Yeah. You may have written other books, but um, certainly this is the second one we've read. But um, just rereading it uh, and, and again this morning. I mean, I literally get goosebumps reading it, and I think people who do read it will will get that. It's so full of love, by the way. Yeah. It's so full of faith right. and grace. Um, and your description of that episode is very beautiful, actually. So yeah. why yeah. don't you tell people about that? Well, you know, it was, uh, they were obviously, well, here's how it came to be. So at the end of every season, those first three, in Cable World, you do 10 seasons, you know, in, I mean, 10 episodes, but they do it three times. So it's not like a typical, it was 30 episodes. So it was only one year had passed since the wow. since the show had started. There wow. were 30 episodes. Wow. So, oh, so wow. see, it's not like a typical show. Sure. So we're only in the second year, so it's, it's still pretty fresh, you know, for the family. But at the end of uh, the, at the end of the third season, they kind of sit everybody down and say, what do you think? The show's obviously very popular. So they're just, is everybody okay? Is everybody feeling good? And so my mom, Miss Kay, who's the sweetest person in the world. Oh, God, she's so, I have to interrupt you. She's yeah, she's great. I want her to come here and cook with me. That's right. We're gonna. That's gonna happen. That is gonna happen. Because she, she, she she's wants adorable. To, she okay. Wants to sorry, cook sorry. And uh, and so she says, "Well, I'm not happy." Well, the producers are shocked because how can Miss Kay not be happy? And so they said, "Well, Miss Kay, what is it?" I mean, it really surprised her. She said, "I have four sons. This show is so very popular. The whole world knows about three of my sons, but nobody knows my fourth son. Oh. I won't be happy until he's on the show." Oh. And so that's how I got on. You know, because they didn't want to preach on the show. They were afraid. They thought I was going to be wearing a robe and, a, and, a, and you know, and well, just... Hollywood didn't want, the producers didn't want to Exactly. So, because the, they were afraid of me. They, oh, they yeah. thought I was yeah. going to be all holy tone and speaking yeah. like a Baptist preacher, you know. So, she insisted I was on the show. So, they basically, when they worked out the idea, it was the 50th anniversary for mom and dad. We were having a celebration. 
they decided to do a vow renewal, and oh. so they needed somebody to be the head of that, and who better than the oldest son, who was a, a, a pastor, could Yeah, do. but so, also who had witnessed so much, actually. Exactly, so when that little speech I give, and in TV world, you can't go wrong, uh, all that was super heartfelt that I wrote myself, because we had witnessed, you know, many years of struggle, yes. and then many years of blessing, and so it was re very touching to all of us. It's still probably one of the one of the top two episodes out of the whole series. Yeah. So, so your book is called Desperate Forgiveness. Um, my first question is, what is forgiveness, and what what is what do pe some people think they know what forgiveness is, but you think they're wrong as well? What what is not forgiveness was almost as important as what is forgiveness, and why desperate forgiveness? Why not just forgiveness? Oh yeah, that's good. And that's a that's in, that's a great question because uh, when we first went to our literary agent. We had the title, which you rarely end with the title that you begin with, right? You know, the yeah. beginning with the publisher. And Desperate Forgiveness was our idea. And uh, the agents were like, oh, no, I don't like that word desperate. You know, that just, that, that's not going to, they never yeah. give you yeah. And we haven't even pitched to a publisher. He just didn't like it. And I said, well, I said, maybe we'll change it. I said, but the reason we use the word is because Lisa and I have both been in a desperate place in our life where... We didn't feel like there was any hope for anything else. And so in that desperate moment is when we cried out and said, God, we, we need help here. We don't know what else we can do. So we fought for that word. Uh, and thankfully, when the publishers came alongside, they loved it. And that's all you need. And we're not the only ones. Um, there's a lot of people who do not do anything until they are desperate. Yes. You know, desperation makes people react mm -hmm. and and a lot of times, if they have to be desperate to be forgiven or to forgive someone before they will ever um, go in and and make the make act the move. to do it. Yeah, you know? the so the idea is there's when there's nothing else that can <clears throat> fix the breach, and so obviously we come at it in a lot of the stories in the book on marriage, but we also tell stories about a father and a son. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. his son after him. So some of these things can be multi generational. And so you asked a great question. What is it not? Most of the time, people to get through a situation, whether it's something very light, like I stepped on your foot in an elevator, oh, I'm so sorry, to something major. You know, what we try to do is we try to come up with anything other than have true forgiveness because the guy may step on your foot and you may say, oh, you know, no worries, you step on their foot, and they walk out and they may just be super angry with you, but you'll never know. And they walk away. So you never resolve it. Who cares? It's just a person in the elevator. But what if that's someone you care about? What if it's someone you have a relationship with? And then you have this distance that grows. And maybe it's over little things that become big things. So forgiveness is not just saying, oh, I'm sorry. Forgiveness is something deeper inside a meaningful relationship. It means that I've got to say it, mean it, and live it. And that means if I go back to every time the one thing you hurt me and bring it up again, mm -hmm. I haven't really forgiven you. Yeah. I've just pushed it down the road till the next time we get into an yeah. argument. So that's kind of how we approach the concept of forgiveness. But, so we, but yeah, yeah but you're Alan Robertson, and you're Lisa Robertson, you're a, a very successful pastor, and you're in a very successful reality, you were in a very successful reality TV show, and even before that, you were in a very successful entrepreneurial family. Uh, you're, you're a best-selling author, you're, you're a preacher's wife, you, you know, you don't have anything to, you, you don't have anything to forgive, <laughs> You've a perfect life. What, what would you know about forgiveness? 
Uh, think, you want to start that one? <laughs> look, I think anybody that's in a relationship, there's room for forgiveness. Uh, because we're humans. We're always going to hurt those that we love the most. And, you know, we take it for granted. But I think anybody that's grown up, I mean, everybody has crap in their life that they need to forgive somebody of or they need to ask for forgiveness, you know? Um, mine was as a child. I had an uncle who molested me at age seven. Well, I mean, do you not think I need to forgive him? I do, because forgiveness is what's going to heal me in order for me to continue on and to be prosperous yes. in my life. And it wasn't necessarily for him, but more for her. Yes. Because that pain had trapped her. And then how she viewed men had caused her to make a lot of bad decisions. And we made bad decisions together. Mm -hmm. um, no, I think you're right. I, you know, it's when we did our first book, A New Season, uh, we did the Huffington Post, which was a bold move. <laughs> Just saying. And so uh, Lisa was so I nervous. I did not enjoy it. She was so nervous. And, uh, and, and the, your question was interesting because this woman who was doing the interview, she said, well, you know, you look back, you know, looked at your book, and, and, and she said some things. She said, you know, you've had success, and, you you know, all these great things have happened in your life, you know, and yet, you know, you chose to abort your baby because Lisa had an abortion during this period of time. So I knew abortion was going to come out at mm. some point. And she was like, why, why shouldn't other women have that same choice? So their, their lives can turn out just like yours. And Lisa had a great answer. She said, well, didn't you read the whole book? Because yeah. It was really hard, yeah, yeah. and here I am, thirty-five years later, yeah. still regretting that decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was, but you had to say it because people look at it as you, as you postured that if everything turns out great, therefore oh, yeah. there's no issues. Yeah. But we learned that yeah. it was through the issues that yes. everything turned out great. So it's just the opposite. Now you, you, know? you talk about Lisa, you talk about the abortion in you were sixteen in, in the book, uh, and it's you know I remember when we started the whole Gosnell thing. Some I remember talking to some guy who was a advertising executive from New York who you'd think would be uh, pro-abortion and all and he was going, you know, people need to understand that an abortion clinic is not a time machine, right? You don't go in there and come out never having been pregnant. Right. And they t everyone told you that this was a solution to your problems and it's and you'd never think about it again. You, you think, of, you say in the book, you think about it every day and uh, forgiving yourself and forgiving, forgive yourself for that is, I suppose, as you say, an important part of desperate forgiveness as well. Yeah. And, you know, Al had his tire iron days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need an explanation. Yes. <laughs> but I like to say, you know, he came, he came back to the prodigal son, but except that the prodigal son didn't have to fix two flat tires. <laughs> well, obviously, we opened uh, this book as we finished our last book was sort of, here's where we go from here, but we went back because it was important for people to know we come from a family. When I'm speaking, I like to put up two pictures. One is a family of 2017 Robertsons. There's three generations there, a lot of faithful people, and admirable people. Yes. I mean, the teenager, the, the Savior, our niece spoke oh, yeah. to a million teenagers last year. Think Good about girl. That. Yeah, yeah, in life. She's you know? wonderful. So you look at that picture and you think, oh man, this, this family is amazing. But then I like to show a picture right next to it of the 1972 family, when it was just mom and dad and myself and Jason, mom was pregnant with Willie. And this family was just in major struggle and crisis and we were split up and all these difficulties were happening. And so I always say, you know, it's hard to reconcile those two pictures, you know, unless you know the story. Yes. And that's the same thing with me, you know, when our family finally got things going in the right direction, 
well, I'm, you know, like a lot of kids will do, I wandered away. You know, it was after my high school years, and so I wound up in New Orleans. <laughs> it's just not a good place to wind up without direction. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love New Orleans. There's a lot of great culture yeah. there, but if you're not there with, you know, some, some character and strength, you're going to have trouble. And uh, so I wound up getting in a terrible situation, and, and a, a jealous husband, I was dating his wife, and we sort of had a double lie going on because <clears throat> I was only 18. She thought I was 21 for some reason. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine why. <laughs> she was 26 and said she had been separated for a year, but actually it had only been two weeks. Yeah. So yeah. that oh lie caught up yeah. with both of us and her, yeah. her husband decided that he was going to separate my head from the rest of my body with a crowbar. And you know, sometimes a crowbar can do what others couldn't yeah. to, you know, cause yeah. me to realize what I was missing out on. So that really shaped me. And, and that, by the way, that was my desperate moment that I mentioned in the book. Mm -hmm. That was when I was at a place where I couldn't reconcile anything. Like, I'm here, I'm bleeding. If, yeah. if it had been another five minutes, I would have been killed. And I thought, you know, if that's what I got here in this life, this is going to be a short run. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be another statistic in New Orleans, and there's yeah. a lot of them. Oh, my there, God. You yeah. Know? yeah. So. Well, as, as you say in the book, with how, you know, your father, though that picture from 1972, it was your, your family was the situation was a mess. As bad as, you know, as bad as, as bad as a bad thing could be. Yes, right. And, yeah. but, and yeah. you say without desperate forgiveness, there'd be no dynasty or dynasty. Dynasty yeah. to say here yes. in this country, Phil. Yes. You said dynasty. Yeah. 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 Dynasty <laughs> sounds so much better. I, <laughs> I, mean, like, well, I wish they just said that. It sounds yeah. more culture. It makes yeah. it sound yeah. like, ooh, yeah. Yeah. So we I, stick with that then. We yeah. have the duck dynasty. We've got the duck dynasty people who are staying there, I like that better. I mean, you may be a, ch a tire iron person, but you're also a child of forgiveness. That's right. right. As you say in the book, and without, without that would be no duck. And I will say what's interesting just to add to that is that when I got back home, now with this new perspective about forgiveness, because my, my family welcomed me in. I didn't get a long list of things that I'd done wrong. They just hugged me and said, welcome home, wow. which was incredible. Yeah. And so a few months after that, first I tried to, I was like, women and me are, are good together. I just have so many bad, so I was going to just walk it alone. That lasted about three months. Yeah. And I thought, that's not my gift. But you know who I call? Lisa. And I had broken her heart and had left her in the lurch. And it really helped send her into her tailspin that we talk about yes. in the book. But she was the person I called. I think it's because... I finally had a concept of what it looks like to be able to embrace the grace of someone else. Yes. And so, you know, then she and I began our dating life and ultimately our married life together. And so I, I think it was that, that's what drew me to her. Because I knew she was broken just like I was. She hadn't had a crowbar, but she had had a lot of bad stuff. Sure. And so I think when we got together that second first date yeah. and started talking about some of our bad things that have been happening the last two years, we just kind of, it was like two beggars that had kind of come together and found some bread and was like, well, let's just see if we can move forward. I think, you know, I think for people, you know, listening to this um, and, and learning about your books, I think, I think the thing that I would really want to say is that I think the gift that you bring people is that you are not perfect and that you actually have a, have a past that would rival any, and I know we've talked about this before, you know, that your past would rival anyone's bad story. Um, everything, you know, with affairs and with dishonesty and every kind of thing. Um, and I actually think that that makes people, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's, it's actually a gift because the, the person in the desperate situation who reads your books will find a really good place to be because, um, because you're people of faith, but you're not perfect and you're not... Um, but, you know, you're not, you didn't live a life that was pristine, 
And I think it's nice for people to be able to meet people like you through the books or through, you know, I know that you do um, a podcast. Ma- well, no, they, oh, they, oh, sorry, they also do a podcast and we'll put all of this stuff on, on the Facebook page. But well, they also do marriage guidance um, work and retreats, which I presume is on a, a website that you have, which we will put yeah. links to all of that. Because I just think, you know, and they've just talked well, what's about... What's the name of the podcast? Our podcast, which is myself and my dad and Jay's, uh, my brother, it's called Unashamed mm-hmm. with Bill Roberts. And to the website... Uh, alanlisarobertson.com yeah. Yeah. yeah, and people can go there because I actually think, you know, it's, I think it'd be a gift for any, for any community in, across the country to have them come and, and work and do this workshop because, uh, you know, as I said, you know, they're not coming in like, oh God, look at how perfect our marvellous, mar- wonderful marriage and marvellous past we've had and all these ch- gorgeous children and everything. No, actually, it's a very messy story and I think that makes people feel like, okay, I can talk now, I can, I can tell you what I did or I can tell you what, what happened with me. Um, and you know, as I said, I'm reading, I'm reading, <coughs> rereading *Desperate Forgiveness*, and just um, I get just like goosebumps about it. Um, and I loved, I really loved, um, and I think it's really helpful for people to read this. I really do. I really can't, I can't recommend it enough. But I loved where you kind of explained um, forgiveness by two particular stories: the Amish, um, the Amish mm-hmm. story, which I even start to kind of tear up just thinking about it, like. It, the worst thing that you could ever imagine. Charles Roberts enters the Amish schoolhouse and shoots 10 schoolgirls, and then kills himself. And uh, I can't remember his motivations now, but the the one thing about the, yeah, evil, that's right. Um, The Amish responded almost immediately, the parents of these children, with grace towards his family, because obviously he's arrested and taken out of the community. But, you know, they understood what they were going through, because, you know, I mean, which would be so easy just to throw everybody in the same lot. I mean, this guy killed my child, and yet they went and extended grace and forgiveness uh, to this family and and said, you know, look, we, you know, this has been a terrible thing, but we understand that if we're going to move forward from this terrible tragedy, and they were doing that, Almost immediately, Almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. which is incredible. Yeah, I mean, incredible. it's and again, it's in their case out of something desperate. You saw that what they believed, yes. they were able to put into action. Yes. you know, out of a terrible tragedy. But they were, but they were, you know, and it's um, it's interesting because we've just been in Ireland and spending time there, where Ireland has really thrown religion under the bus in a lot of ways, and you yeah. and you feel it and you notice it um, all over the place. Um, and when you hear that story of the Amish, when you hear your story of, of what happened to you and how you, uh, you know, read the gospel and realized that Jesus forgave yeah. um, in the worst possible That's right. scenario, you know, the people were, what, what were they doing? They were like, they were gambling, they were, they were gambling about his clothes, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's on the cross with these desperate people and says, yeah. forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I, I think of that line all the time. Because yeah. I think that that's... Because we had that experience very much when we were doing the work on the Gospel book and reading about these, de- you know, demonic, really, um, right. situation that was happening there where one of the guys, Steve Massop, and I've told you guys about this before, where, I mean, he got me praying, basically, because I was so terrified by reading what he had done where he said he'd be there and they'd be doing the ultrasound or whatever. They'd have the needle, you know, and they would say, good shot! If they killed the baby with the needle, you know, that he spoke like that and he was joking around. And, you know, when you think of, so I think 
that kind of extraordinary forgiveness that you describe, that it, where people find solace is actually when they think about, about Jesus, about the example of Jesus in that extraordinary situation where he could have, you know, why don't you save yourself? You know, why don't you save yourself, you know? Um, do you want to talk to that? Well, and I'll say about that, the scene you painted, because um, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I, I really, this person doesn't seem like they are sorry for what they did, so therefore, I, I'm not beholden to forgive them for anything. In other words, I can't forgive unless they ask me for it. I, I've heard this even put forward as a theology. But what you mentioned shows you that you can't. In other words, these people that were crucifying Christ, they weren't, they didn't, they weren't saying we're doing something wrong. They just went about their business. Mm -hmm. He looked at them and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing here by killing your son, you know, here on this earth. And so I think that's a great example for us. And, and Lisa mentioned it, that she was able to forgive her uncle. He never asked for it. But Lisa and I, in our own desperate place in our marriage, realized that if we were going to move forward from some of the things we were dealing with, she was going to have to extend that forgiveness, mm -hmm. even though he hadn't asked, to release her. And I was going to have to do the same. And to be honest with you, as bad as it was for Lisa, it was it was just as hard for me. Yes. Because here, this man had affected my relationship sure. with my wife for 15 years. And yet I had to let it go. And so I think that's a, Jesus gives us that ultimate example of the best way to move forward. Yes. It's not always, it's not easy. And it's not, it's not easy. easy. What about the argument that... Uh, it's not, it's not important that you shouldn't think about forgiveness. You shouldn't dwell on the past. You should move on. I think you talk about that, Lisa, in the book. You know, yeah. Surely you should move, move on. Don't dwell on the past. Don't think about bad things. Be forward-looking and, and look to the future. Well, and you do have to do that, except for the fact that whenever you harm someone, you have to make amends for, that, for harming someone. And whenever you have been through something very traumatic, as, as we both have, then you have to go back and, and think about the things that happened. You know, at seven years old, my uncle told me, don't ever tell anyone. Mm -hmm. Well, so I learned this honesty at seven years old. I could never tell anybody about anything. That went all the way through my life. I had to go back and revisit that because I had to learn to be honest and to be truthful. And if you don't go back and fix those things, because Satan has a way of lying to you. When things happen to you, it's your fault. I'm seven years old, and I'm thinking it's my fault that someone's molesting me. It's my responsibility at seven years old. You have to go back and change those. You have to go back in your psyche, you know, and fix those things that Satan has lied to you about so long in your life. Whenever you fix those things and you realize that God can forgive you, that you can forgive somebody else, it is amazing what happens within your soul and within your life and the blessings that come forward. And one of the things that we never wanted to forget was the pathway we found out. You know, when, when Lisa and I were doing uh, some media for our first book, we were on Sean Hannity's radio show. And we love Sean, we have a great relationship with him. So Sean, he's, he, you know, he has the bullet points on the book and he's, he's looking at us and at this time the show's at the ultimate popularity. And he says, why would you guys write a book about that? I mean, like, there's adultery and abortion. Yes, yes. He was like, people love your family. Why do you want to talk? And by the way, and by the way, he's not the only one who thinks that. By the way, I mean, I have to say, when I read it first, I was like, oh my god, how did they do this? Right. <laughs> so, so, so he's you know goes through his list and he's looking at Lisa and he's like, why would you do this? And uh, and so and Lisa says, well, Sean, we want we want to help people. Like, 
this, these things happened, but we overcame something, and now we feel like we have this gift and, and secret to success. We yes. want other people to know about it. And he said, well, there's things I wouldn't even tell my wife yes. that I did when I was young. And Lisa immediately says, well, I'm glad I'm not married to you, Sean Hattie. So, and then all the, all the crew is laughing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, ooh, she got Well, it's interesting. You know, I don't, as I'm listening to you here, and I just literally, literally just saw this, someone should make a movie of your story. Because yeah, it's a great movie. No, that's what I, I think thought. of. I'll give you one. Well. I can see that picture of you that awful night. I mean, I, I was very affected by, yeah. by by your first book and by, by, and by the second. I love the second one as well. But the first one, which tells obviously tells the whole story, and I actually think it's better not to tell the story here. People need to get the book and read it because it's quite an extraordinary it's story. It's a movie. <laughs> but there's a scene. The scene I, that that you know, one of the scenes I remember is you when when he threw you out of the house. Um, and you're at the table, and I think the, the kids are in bed or whatever, whatever, isn't that it? But you're at the table alone, and I think, but I just, oh, there's so much of this. I, lo I just love your story. You had phoned up a girlfriend of hers and said, she's alone. And, you, you know, even though you were extremely hurt, extremely angry, you were, like, still taking care of her. You were like, yeah, my first call was to her best friend, to, yeah. who had blamed me for all of our problems because I was judgmental, controlling it. And, of course, Lisa had been lying to her, too, her best friend. And so my first call was to her because you're right. I, as, as angry as I was with her, I didn't want anything bad to happen to her. Yeah. And so I knew that she needed that comfort in her yeah. life. Yeah. And that, and she wound up being a great guy. Yeah, she and her sure. husband and a, and a sounding board for us. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I really do think you know honestly, I, I I think it's a great movie, and I think it'll be really inspiring. If we only knew some filmmakers. If only that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that, that, and a couple of million dollars. No, but you know, we should keep. Money, that's the hard no, part. But hey, you know, know, we should keep talking. We raised two million dollars for another movie that was worthwhile, and I think honestly, I do think your story is very yeah. inspiring, and more people need to know it. And I'm we're not giving the whole thing away here, but people should get both books because I, I really do I mean, think yeah, they're. I, 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 you're, you know, you're probably the first. This is like the social media version of uh, Al and Lisa, where you think everyone has this perfect life. You know, you see on Facebook, oh, having a wonderful Instagram. time. Pictures yeah. Everything Instagram. pictures beautiful. The the backstory is, is very very interesting and uh, is is definitely allows them to write a book called yes. Desperate Forgiveness. Yes, There's no doubt about that. That. Uh, and the first book is called A New Season. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. look, I want to say something about you guys too. You know, we met and I didn't know you. And then like after that week we were together on the cruise, you know, I grew to really love and appreciate you guys. So I got a, a copy of the book. You guys, you were still working on the book at that time for Guys Now. And I guess the film was, a, you know, mm -hmm. working on it. You had done it, but it hadn't come out yet. And when I read Guys Now, and then you guys gave me the... We, we actually, the we forward, asked you yeah. to, ask the, to write the forward. And it was so powerful. And I, and I really believe this, that you guys, what we're seeing now is finally you've got clear, you've got clear, you know, fight mm -hmm. in the pro-life movement. But I believe what you did with Guys Now started that process. And well, so I just want to thank you for that, too, for this podcast audience. It, it because really has. It was so powerful. I've never been so angry when I read a book. Uh, and yet so oh, yeah. resolved to do Correct. something about it. So that's what the book and the movie did for me. So yeah. thank you guys so well, much for doing thank it. Thank you very much. As journalists, we want to yeah. tell the story, but I think it's really, Gosnell is now almost a household name in America. That's right. And I think that is a, a, great, a great achievement that the book and the movie has done. Right. And you're, you're writing the foreword. But he deserves to be. That's right. You know? So, um, just, just to finish up talking about the book, which again, I highly recommend, um, near the end, you have these um, 13 disciplines 
that people should try and you know try and follow in their lives to try and um, embrace embrace forgiveness and um, and, uh, and and make their life better by the way by doing that. And one of them just jumped out at me, which I think you 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 will agree with me, was like to forgive um, your political and ideological <laughs> enemies. And I have to say, because we've actually talked a little bit about this stuff on the podcast, and we'll continue obviously to talk through twenty twenty about this, where so many and you know so many weird things happened with Trump, where people break up with people. So a girl I shared a flat with in Italy a thousand years ago, whatever, really nice girl. We had this fabulous relationship, and um, I loved her, um, I love her now, and anyway, but she broke up with me, <laughs> she wrote to me on Facebook, and we hadn't been in touch for ages, and we had me, we're done, you and me, we're over, you know, and that's kind of, I'm, I'm being a bit lightweight about that one, but I have travelled around the country, and of course you guys know this more than anyone, and I've met, and, it's, and I'd be interested also in your advice here, I really want to hear your thoughts on this, where people have lost children over the, the election, basically, where their children, grown children, have said, I'm done with you. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard on parents. It, I mean, it must be really a nightmare for a parent to have your child alive and not talking to you. So, um, so it's kind of, I was kind of being funny about it at that same time, but have you advice about that? And tell us what was the inspiration of the Forgiving the Well, Angels I, I think things. one of the, the reason we thought about this for the book is because of the realities of where we are. You know, up until just not too many years ago, America was pretty much, once an election cycle is over and someone wins, whether it was your person or not, your party or not, you were able to say, okay, let's look, you know, the next four years, and we can still be in opposition, we can still say what well, we disagree, but there wasn't just such vitriol. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I would argue now, in the era of Trump, it's not even every four years, it's every two years. So every time we do a, another national election, mm -hmm. it just gets so, and so we're like everybody else. We've never seen it this bad, mm -hmm. where it's so entrenched both ways. And of course, obviously, being a conservative, uh, you know, I feel like this whole socialist, wild, crazy thing on the left. How could you ever agree with these people and, and learn that? And yet, at the same time, I'm compelled by the same spiritual principles of my life to say that these are just, they're people. They're Americans. Yeah. They don't act like it many times, but at the same time. So I have to find a way to not let that affect me. And like you said, it's terrible to affect your relationships when it affects your spouse or your children. Actually, yeah, and I, I was reading the book, and you, you, you remember the guy who talked about Matt Owens? Yeah. And the phrase that jumped out at me is that he, so Matt, Matt was a, a sinner and a drinker, and, right. and, and then he, he found Jesus, and but then he became, I suppose, addicted to Jesus in some yeah. ways, and reading books, and became really smart about religion. And as you said, he, he wanted to win an argument rather than persuade people. That's right. Uh -huh. You know, and that's what a lot of people, I think I'm probably guilty of it myself, you want to win an argument, you don't want to persuade people. I think that's what people are at now, that's, and that's what Twitter's at. And, uh, you know, so I think people, yeah. uh, you know, that's one way to lessen uh, the antagonism is if somebody comes at you, right. uh, don't think about winning the argument, think about persuading them. And it's actually, it's, it may sound subtle, but it's actually, it means you go at someone in a completely different way. Right. And, uh, well, and to, to your point, there was a man just this week that was out at my dad's house. He's CEO of a media company. He's from San Antonio, Texas. And he sends me an email and he says, you know, four years ago, you guys spoke at a men's conference and somebody brought me. And he said, I was an entrenched liberal. I mean, all my media was liberal. I hated conservatives. And I listened to you guys speak. And I was so moved and convicted that it started something inside me. He said, it took a few years, but he said, now I'm, I've left, you know, my liberal way of mm -hmm. thinking. And he wanted to come down and just study the Bible with my dad. Oh, and after four years, 
And so dad, who was like, dad, so here's what dad tells me. He gets a letter and he says, I'll call the left winger up and get him down to the house. I, I want to talk to this guy. So, but it was amazing because it's just what you said. I mean, when we present, we want to present a case that's something to think about. Yes. And, and we did it, of course, through a more religious and biblical sure. worldview. But still, it's the same thing. And if that's your goal, as opposed to just destroy Today it's just about destruction. Yeah. Of course, social media makes it so easy yeah, yeah. because in 140 characters or whatever it is, we want to just destroy. Persuade yeah. to win. Persuade to win is a, a friend of mine in Aspen, uh, Melanie, who has actually come up with a whole thing about that. That's, that's her whole thing. She goes out and trains people uh, about persuading people rather than having right. this kind of full-on fight. Well, you know, we are one of our kids. Whenever all of this first started, when Trump was first elected, one of our children. Um, and she has her own opinions about many things. She's her youngest, so yeah. she's strong. Um, she, um, I, come, I come into her house one day, and it's on CNN, and I'm like, What happened here? There's a last failure. And it was, you know, it was right after Trump was elected, so there was lots of things happening, you know. And um, so, you know, my first thought was, Lord, it's that man you gave her. Uh, but it wasn't. I mean, she yeah. is, she's you, very... You do realize many parents would come into a house and if it was on the porn channel, they'd think it's fatal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. So, um, you know, I, ta I talked to Alan about it. I was just like, I just don't understand this. And it was, you know, everything Trump said was bad, you know. But what I suggested was I said, don't watch just this channel watch other channels. And you know they did? And they began to see mm -hmm. that everything that they were watching was one-sided. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and now, you know, they fuss at the TV along with me and Alan, you know, about liberal thinking and all Being that. Persuaded. So it's, yeah, it, it was just because, you know, at first their thinking was a little bit messed up. Um, and you know they're in their thirties. So, you know, they're just in that. 30. So yeah. they're millennial, you yeah. know, and that mindset is so, strong you know and there's such a peer draw to it and so in, in my own house you know my, my granddaughter who's, who's 13 years old she came in and she said pat she calls me pat she says pat have you seen trump's uh what what he says about transgenders in the military of course i'm stuck <laughs> like 13 year old granddaughter said no and of course i knew but i was like no tell me about it so she says you know she goes through what she had heard i don't even know where she heard it. She goes to a Christian school. I'm like, where are you learning to translate? She lives with us. I mean, so she said, so so she gives me her thing, and she thought it just sounded unfair. That why would these translate? So instead of just like, oh, you know, you're a crazy thirteen year old. I said, well, think about this. And so I started laying out a scenario about her dad who served in Afghanistan. I said, say he's in a foxhole, and there's somebody next to him, and he's shot, and the person next to him doesn't have the upper body strength to be able to drag him out of that hole. I said, there are reasons why they do this. Really not against people. They're trying to protect them. So I just explained to her yeah. how that that wasn't the best policy, especially for military, without even getting into anything else. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she said, well, that makes sense. She said, hmm, okay. And then she just goes on her way. Oh, as well, a goals. Right, exactly. But it's like, you know, you get those moments where you try to put principles, you know, into the next generation because... What they hear, especially through yeah. social media, is not going to be, you know, very, very no. conservative. No. And even with our children, I think we just have to rely on that truth that's eventually going to come around. Mm -hmm. And they see truth, you know. Millennials yeah. especially. And if, and if one of them goes for one of these twenty twenty Democrats, then I'm going to have to write a new book about forgiveness. Yeah. Then we got to go through the whole. <laughs> we got to reimagine the whole thing. 
Yeah, we started going back yeah, from scratch. Yeah. We put Elizabeth Warren in. We got major. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that really <laughs> desperate forgiveness. I will be desperate all, all over it. Oh, yes. Yeah, plus, plus. And we're, we're going to ride it from another country. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You really are moving country. From a bunker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, and we're not, yeah, that's right. We're not, yeah. We're not messing about this. We actually are moving if, yeah. she, if she gets elected. Um, which is actually a nice segue into, I think it's time to talk about um, my, some of my favourite things. And one of the things that we're going to do when we have guests, no matter who we have that we're going to be interviewing, we're going to ask them, because I think people really do care about food, about um, the, the favourite cocktail, and about a piece of art that, that means a lot to you. Um, and I know I talked talk to you guys, asked you to think about that beforehand. But I think we want to start with, um, I think there might be a cocktail story here. Is there a cocktail then that you can make, that you can explain to us how to make that is just something fabulous? All right. So I've been thinking about this one, and this will apply to both of us, so it's perfect. So we were in uh, Mexico one time. We love the beach. You know, we go to the Bahamas and we go to Mexico. And so when, you know, you're in that tropical setting, you want those tropical drinks, you know, it's just something about yeah, it. Yeah, a little yeah. thing in the fruit. Oh, yeah, and you and want the umbrella. To the point of heartburn, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so yeah. we were in a, in a resort, and there was a, and I'll never forget, it was a little short Mexican guy. His name was Gasper, G-A-S-P-E-R, his little name tag. Oh, yeah. And so I was like, you know, well, Gasper, I look at his name tag, says, you know, make us something special, you know, just like, you know, dealer's choice. Oh, yeah. And so he put something together. Well, Lisa and I drink it, and it was amazing. It was just the right combination of everything. Mm. So then I have to find where Gasper is every day that we go out because they move them around to different locations. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking because I don't know what it is. It's the Gasper. Yeah. It's become the Gasper. Oh, yeah. You know, and so finally the last day, we were, and so I would find, we would find him every yeah. day. He's like, tell me when you're moving because we're following you. <laughs> and so uh, he made, so he showed me how he made the drink. And it's, and it's basically, it's pretty simple, but it's, it's based with the, uh, the Malibu rum. That's kind of the base of it. Uh, and then you add in a little bit of the uh, Midori, which is the green liqueur, the melon liqueur. Uh, you put some uh, pineapple juice in there, because that's kind of the sweetening of it. And then you put a little bit of dark rum on top, and just a little bit of cherry juice and a couple of cherries, maybe a hunk of pineapple. Oh that. It is a such a refreshing. So if you're like thinking, man, I need to get into my beach zone, the Gasper, which Gasper. poor Gasper, he's somewhere in Mexico, and, and now we're talking about And you're going to make a million dollars off of <laughs> We're going to make yeah, yeah, yeah. the same trade, the Gasper. Right. So They're going to be selling that, and it'll be available. That's right, Jen. Yeah, they merchandising on their website. On their website. website. Yeah. And these are all yeah. 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 I really like the sound of that. Yeah, um, oh, God, that's, yeah, right. We have to try that. Yeah, because yeah. like you have to, you know, sometimes you're in those situations, because I got a drink somewhere in Washington, D.C., and I actually wrote about it on Facebook, and, I, and somebody said, I'm a chef, I'm going to back engineer this thing really great it was one it was it was the base was bourbon but then there was like some kind of um it was it was creamy but it stuck into it which i thought was genius was a piece of bacon cold that had been um that had uh, been um bathed bathed in chocolate <laughs> oh wow and put in the fridge and then and so oh it stuck goodness. up like that so you kind of eaten that with this drink it's like the best thing ever. She's had me that and she was... Uh, I went to see... She's she telling like, me, she phoned me, it's terrible here, it's terrible here. Next thing I see on Facebook, this cocktail <laughs> yeah. with, a, with a chocolate dip. <laughs> chocolate dip, yeah, chocolate dip, yeah, chocolate dip, yeah. yeah. You know, the, best nothing, the yeah. truth is, you know, and all I'm sitting at home eating macaroni and cheese. There's just nothing wrong. Every, as long as there's bacon in it, it's all going to work out okay. Oh, yeah. So then our next question that we're going to ask everyone is like the favourite recipe that you have, your go-to recipe. When people are coming to your house that know you and they say like, I hope they make that. What did they hope you make? Uh, probably macaroni and cheese, oh, but which I, think I have one one recipe that I hardly ever make, mm. um, mainly because it's time consuming, and, and it's called pecan chicken. 
but the just ground chicken. Yeah. Uh huh. But just here recently, our son-in-law, and he's been in the family for six years, seven years. So no, number two. Yeah. And and so um, he's never had it. So I text him and I say, so what do you want to eat? You know, for your birthday. Well, my daughter texts back and says, roast and rice and gravy. You know. Because that's okay. her favorite. Because that's her favorite. Oh, right. And I said. Well, you can't say what he wants. It has to be his choice. And so he said, well, I've been hearing a lot about this pecan chicken. And I probably haven't made it in 10 years. And so I said, pecan chicken it is. And, you know, I think the reason why it's so good is because you have to roast pecans. Mm -hmm. uh, you also have um, syrup, maple syrup in oh, it, brown stop. sugar. Oh. So, I mean... Diabetes How on a plate. Yes, exactly. uh, and that's what I always say. I always say you can go into a diabetic coma uh, after eating this meal, but it's delicious. It really is. I mean, it's one of our favorite things, but it's very time-consuming. I mean, it probably takes four hours to yeah. make it. Yeah, counting the prep. And so then she yeah. usually does a wild rice with it. So that, that sweet drizzle over the chicken and the rice is yeah. really tasty. So oh, yeah. it's, it's a it great meal. We had another prayer. Do you, have, do you have it written up somewhere? Oh, yeah. So we can, you and can you have to pair. We put it on the well, Facebook page. You have, yeah. to, you have to pair it with green bean bundles. You take the frozen green beans, wrap them in bacon, and put a little bit of that sweet sauce on those, and then you bake yeah. those in the oven. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Yeah. it's really yeah. I think we have to go back. I've always gone to Louisiana in the summer, in August. So our version of that, by the way, is Magda's favorite, which is um, which is eggplant parmesan. You know, um, I love that. You've had mine, right? Yeah. Which gets made infrequently. Same reason because it's quite quite a hassle. But yeah. honestly, um, yeah, it yeah. definitely gets made for very special occasions. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we want that recipe. I, okay. I love the sound of that. As you say, diabetic, diabetic coma afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, what you know, this, that's what that's what special occasions are all about. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So do you have any more was questions? Was there? A piece of art? Or oh yes, that's what I want to talk about now. You have one. So, I have one. Okay, so, one. Start with so I'll start. I'll oh, start. No, all right, okay. um, there's a there's a movie that's also a play, and I and I've had the opportunity to see both. There was a limited Broadway run. We just happened to be in town, and it's called Big Fish. And Tim Burton made the movie. Okay. Yes. Uh, but and I don't know who did the uh, the play, but it was fantastic as well. It, but both stories a little bit different how you, from the from the theater to the to sure. the screen. But the the premise of the movie, Albert Finney is in the movie, mm -hmm. and he's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's and then uh, Ewan McGregor is a younger version of Albert Finney. So you so you meet him and then you go back and so you're watching his life unfold. What was powerful about the movie to me was when I watch it, I cry every time I watch it. It's like, I can't not cry at the end. Because he tells these fantastical tales about his life. And his son, who's sort of a, he's a journalist, and his son is sort of like, oh yeah, we've heard of these stories all my whole life. And so he doesn't believe any of his dad, Albert Finney's stories are true. Because they're so fantastical. But he just has this ability to tell wonderful stories. Right. And so the movie's sort of the Tim Burton angle, as you can imagine, watches Ewan McGregor go through in these fantastical, crazy things happen, which is Albert Finney's early life. And so when you get to the end, Albert Finney is an older man, he's dying. And so he keeps saying, you know, he'll get in the bathtub, he said, I just need to get in some water. You know, I'm just feeling dried out. And at the end, he said, I want you to go and put me in the river. And so his son starts to tell him a story as he's dying. 
about him taking his dad and putting him in the river, and he becomes this giant fish, and that's why it's called a big fish. Oh. And so the, the premise of the movie is is that he was so big and so bigger than life that really he stood out. He was he was almost too big of a fish to be in this life because of all the money. Mm -hmm. So at the funeral at the end, all these people are coming by, and the son is recognizing that that's the guy from, from that the story. story. That's yeah. the guy. That, there's a giant there. There's these. I mean, it's all these crazy. This, oh, the movie's wow. kind of crazy. But so I. The reason what gets me at the end, I weep every time at the end of the story, is because I feel the same way about my dad. He's like this big fish, you know? He's almost larger than life. And so, and, he, and he's based on all these crazy stories and everything that's got him there. And so it always gets me because, you know, I went through a period where I didn't have a good relationship with him, just like the son did in the movie. And at the end, of course, they reconcile that and he respects his dad. And so I think for that reason, that film, that story, uh, is so powerful to me. I, I see it in my own life, but it's really, really good. Oh, well, we're going to put them up on the Facebook page because I have people I think will really like to see that. Yeah, we're, we're this, gonna, this section is a piece of art. That, a that, piece of art that our guests have been moved by in their lives. And, and, in and, it can be, and it could be a movie, it could be a poem, it could be a piece of art, Picture. it could be a sculpture, it could be a, a painting. And what about you, Lisa? Well, I think ours would be our Duck Commander musical. So mm -hmm. it's based on... Uh, Willie and Corey's book, uh, Duck Commander Family, mm -hmm. and um, it was set in, it was New York actors and actresses, Broadway, Broadway, Broadway mm -hmm. but uh, they, sh it was shown in um, Vegas, in Vegas, for a month, well, for one, one month, month. we only had one it's month, like one it was three months, oh. but it got cut down to a month, um, I, I, I mean, it was absolutely the best thing that I've ever seen, and we were going to see it again, and, and we couldn't. But um, one of the best things about it, I guess, is because, same thing, it, it tells about our life, and it tells about Phil and Miss Kay and the struggles that they had, but then ultimately um, how he embraced Christ mm -hmm. and how it changed our family, changed our family dynamic. I think the same thing because I have a friend who played me, um, and her name is, is Haley Swindle um, Tantliff is her name now. She um, actually met her husband the night that the uh, Broadway show um, aired, I mean, you know, the yeah. first time. Oh, and so, um, but she is beautiful, a beautiful girl. She has a sweet little girl named Lily, but, um, you know, I still watch her and we go and see things that she does in New York because she's still in New York. They actually favor a lot. And, of course, Haley, uh, she's a lot younger than Lisa. Well, yeah, she's my kid's she's age. She's the kid's because the story in the musical <laughs> was when we were young. Yeah. 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 And, and, and uh, is the music available anywhere? Is it, like, on Spotify? Or? You know, no, I don't know that it is. They I, keep saying they're going to put it, like, in um, Missouri. Recondition it, maybe put it in Branson yeah, or someplace Branson, where it could go. It's so incredible that it's sad to me because it was done at such a high level. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is, yeah. To produce it in the way they wrote it and did it, so who wrote it the cost music? a lot of money. Uh, there were four guys from New York. All Broadway performers. Oh, and two, so, were, two of them were uh, twin brothers. Mm -hmm. They're all performers. and they composed the music. They composed all the music. And wrote the all songs. original music. Right. There's yeah. one about Cy and it called "Ladies Man," and just that one number alone. And he's taking off all these things because he's representing different eras of the '70s, and he's singing this song. And this actor they have just he looks a little bit like Cy. Oh my god! It was just so. The actors were unbelievable. They really were. I mean, every. I have to say now, if I knew. That that musical was on in Vegas, I would be driving yeah. out to Vegas. Oh yeah, and that's what we're saying. It wasn't yeah. just in last year. For these things to be successful, and I know it myself with Ferguson and all that. Yeah. In the, 
it starts to get popular after a month. That's right. There's a word yeah. of mouth. Right. Yeah. It actually needed it needs to yeah. be there for three months, six months because yeah. word of mouth yeah. and journalists go and people go yeah. and columnists. I think originally go. it was supposed to be there three months, but they were losing so much money, you know, because they had these actors and actresses yeah. all the way to Vegas, you yeah. know, to do yeah, it. Actually but, Tommy Matello, who used to be remember he was married to Mariah Carey. Head of Sony Entertainment for a long time. He is the was the main funder of the thing. We're, we're talking about seven or eight million dollars. Oh yeah, no, it's a big and uh, and loved it. He's a hunter, you know. So he he just he saw the story and he thought he didn't believe in it. Yeah. And uh, it was so. Should have gone on the road. Yeah, if we could have yeah. gone on the road, or gotten to New York. It's, it's just so expensive. No, of course you know? it is. But yeah, yeah but I yeah. think I, I I really. What, what year was that? Uh, 2014 or 15? 15, 15, I think. 15. Yeah. I think it was 15. Okay, well, I think we've come to the end of this particular <laughs> episode of the Anna Film Scoop, and this has been I just absolutely fabulous. I was kind of nervous this morning, I was thinking, because this is our first time interviewing anyone, um, but uh, I couldn't wish for a more wonderful couple to be the very first people we had as guests. It's, it's actually just the most perfect thing and we just love you guys forever. Well I was worried too because I watched um, your podcast and I laughed the whole entire time. In the Sky Club with earbuds in and drawing attention from the yeah, entire she laughs the whole time. And so you know I thought I'm not going to be able to say anything I'm just going to laugh at it the whole time we're You guys there. are so good together. Yeah, you are. Awesome. Well, thank so we're you very so honored to be a part of well, it. Well it's very delighted to have you. you. Thank you so much guys. Thank Bye you. now. And don't forget Bye. the Facebook page and the field of scoop. And we'll put everything up there, all Instagram, the links to everything. AP scoop. Thank you. Thank you. Hi everyone, we decided to come out. This is like a this is like the bonus feature. This is like the bonus feature at no extra cost today. But in the future we will definitely be charging. But um yeah, we're outside um because we kind of think like we're in California and why would we not show people how gorgeous the sunlight is? And by the way, there's a lot bad about California. But one thing you cannot say is that the weather isn't spectacular, you know? It is awesome. And we're outside with our dear, dear friends, Alan and Lisa. And, uh, and we're sitting here at the table. And everything's covered right now. Everything's covered because we've got a bit of a fly issue. Because it's warm right now, yeah. here. Oh, and we're drinking a cheeky little rosé. Cheeky little rosé from Costco, which is like $10. And we're not getting paid by Costco, by the way. Um, and that's okay because I love Costco anyway. But this is the cheeky little number. And God save all here. As my mother used to say, God save all I'll here. My husband doesn't drink, but I drink for two. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how are you guys doing? How are you enjoying the summer now? How are you enjoying the weather out here? It is beautiful out here. I just love it. And, and look, we walked here from our hotel. You did. Uh, you know, we could walk outside in Louisiana and before you even get to the mailbox, you're sweating. No, from the shower and to the sink before you. Oh, even, it's you so. Know. How many months of the year is it like that? Only about, about four. Yeah. Only about four. <laughs> really, three. So, what do you do? Do you live indoors then during that yeah, time? Yeah, AC. Oh, that's right. so we sit out on our deck, and, and that's the reason you have a pool. Times yeah. of day when we can have the fans going, and but it's still you sweat no matter what. You see, and this is why you know this is why we you know we pay the price of living here, and they call it like the the weather tax. We have like a weather tax, mm -hmm. you know, that they're like they're really you know because. You know, we can't. Oh, oh dear God! This is like, yeah, those right. spies, yeah. But anyway, you know, they, uh, we, as I said, very, very unusual. But we, you know. So what we got here? Huh? What, what, what? So what do we got here? Actually, well, interestingly enough, I mean, that's just salmon that I'd already made, um, that was broiled. Um, that's a chicken, by the way. That's the end of a chicken from Costco, and it's really interesting story about that. You know that they have those broiled chickens that they have pre-made. 
they're like this lost leader, right? They bring you into the shop and get it for like five dollars, and it's a great chicken, lasts for ages and stuff. And the price hasn't increased in like 10, 10 years. This is my famous, ever so famous frittata, which um, it's just great. Uh, you know, and you can serve it cold, but you can also, you know, just give it a zap in the microwave. Um, and it's just, it's just very versatile. Exactly. These tomatoes or tomatoes. And these tomatoes were a gift. Were a gift, were a gift from, a from a very dear friend. So from her garden. From her garden. The proper heavy tomatoes. Oh yeah, they're those proper heavy tomatoes. Yeah, I love that. Um, and then we just, yeah, so that's kind of, so kind of very simple food. But we love to, we literally, we eat literally outside the whole time. My poor mother, God rest her soul, and she would be so amused by me doing this, by the way, you've no idea. Because <laughs> my mother, like, was a fabulous cook, like, just magnificent cook. And, uh, I like, I, but, but I, you know, basically in Ireland, right, so my mother and father, they loved the sun, but, you know, God help them, right, they lived in Ireland. But if there was a sea, if there was the merest notion of sunshine, the two of them would be out in the chairs. Like, you know, like that, like that, you know. So I think she would appreciate that we're always outside here. And Phelan and I stick out here, like literally have all our meals out here until it literally is impossible because there's like a howling wind or something. But other than that, we're out the whole time. Um, so that'll be my problem with living in Louis. I have to say, I find that humidity challenging. Today is probably 100 degrees and where we live and the humidity is about 70%. Yeah. So it's just like, a, just a boil, you know? Because you know, you, yeah, some places like a bait, but we're a boy. Oh, uh, we're like a crawfish. Don't like that boy. So you're bad. like that. You're like those people who, like, if you wanted to, if you broke an egg on the bonnet of the car, you'd totally oh, yeah. fry. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's oppressive. So that's you're right. I mean, obviously there's some downsides of uh, uh, California politically, but there's an upside. There's with an the, upside. With yeah, the, right. with the weather. And is. the nice thing for us is we get to get you guys coming to visit mm -hmm. us every year and having a couple of days together and making some friends. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just think we're going to make this an annual event. I think that the Robertsons are in town, and uh, we're so on our podcast and sit and have dinner. At exactly. Our, uh, and tomorrow we're going to do a big cycle. We're going to cycle all the way from here down to Manhattan Beach, ten miles. Our annual cycle. And our annual cycle. <laughs> we did a, you know, and I get criticised for the annual cycle because last year I, I, I go very fast. <laughs> it's those long legs. It's this, there, you see. You see? Yeah. Uh -huh. It was it was you and I and usually out front. Uh -huh. It was these two trailers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But great. it worked out perfect. Yeah, we're, we're going to stop and start. And actually, we will post a couple of photographs um, on Facebook. Of, but uh, that's the way it is, isn't it, Phelan? They run through life, and we just leisurely yes. ride through life. But Anne, Anne accuses me when we're walking of deliberately walking slow. <laughs> <laughs> That has been an accusation. Has been made. <laughs> I am. Um, I was a power walker before they invented the term. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, like I just don't get this walking slow thing. Yeah. It's, it's called strolling. Now. Yeah, but just, what's the point in that? You know. You I want to get to the place. I want to get to the next place. I want to look at the journey. It's not, it's not, yeah. it's not so much you get in there. It's the journey. It's the sight. Don't even go there. Don't go with those hallmark uh, expressions <laughs> to me. It won't be. It won't, you won't end up well. I have to say. No, no, it will not end up well. Okay. So cheers to everyone, cheers to our gorgeous friends, and Thank you. please like and share, and we would love, I have to say, and we have talked about this before, we would love to get Miss Kate to come here and have, uh -huh. cook together, cook yeah. together, and sit outside we're together. We're going to film it. So we're going to make, oh, we're talking about it. God bless. All the best. Thank you so much. Bye.